We'll show him what this baby can do, sir. Give me everything you got, LaFord. Aye, aye, sir. I am Jason. And I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Today we'll be talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 4, The Last Outpost. And The Last Outpost is the first time that we really get a good chance to look at uh, the mysterious Ferengi. Paul, joining us to uh, to talk about this <laughs> gem of an episode is uh, Dean. Uh, and Dean, how would you prefer us? Do you want us to use your first name, last name? Do you, wanna, you have a crazy name you want to make up? Uh, Dean's fine. Okay. I mean, excellent. whatever. It's what my mom calls me. But uh, <laughs> well, I guess very, I guess you guys can be that familiar if you want. Okay. I didn't know if only your favorite Damon referred to you as uh, as Dean, which is huh? Ferengi reference? Huh? Who's excited? Ferengi? Come on. Feel the. Do we have a crickets? Do we have crickets on the soundboard? We can work that in in the post. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so this episode starts with the uh, the Enterprise in full pursuit of a Ferengi vessel, which uh, it stole some stuff. It stole some power converters from Tashi Station. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> Essentially, the the Ferengi stop come about, and then it's believed at the time that the Ferengi have lured the Enterprise into a trap. Um, as as the Enterprise is rendered powerless, and there's a blame-storming session right in the middle of the bridge because everybody's like, we didn't know they had this, and they're like, we didn't think they did. And um, But as it turns out, there is a deeper mystery uh, down on the planet below um, where they discover one of the last outposts of the Takan Empire. And in order to get out of the trap, this new uh, newly revealed foe, they must work together with the Ferengi to try to solve the mystery of, of this Takan Empire trap and uh, escape before, you know, both ships are destroyed. It's, it's your standard, um, you know, kind of reversal script as far as that goes. We can argue about whether it's good or not <laughs> in a bit, but it's important because this is clearly an episode where um, the writers are trying to introduce a new a new enemy for a new crew, right? Like this. Yeah, is, yeah. They're trying to roll out the red carpet and be like, "These are the big bad now." I mean, watch out, the Ferengi. Whoa, you know. Well, in the setup, I mean, I really like the idea, the, the kind of original premise they set up that that. They're kind of a species that is as advanced, but differently so, right? So they might be better at something, but weaker at something. I like that premise, but it, it really doesn't feel like they carry through. Um, I also think that it's a it's a little heavy-handed to like introduce a new race, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like let's just uh, let's just assume that they've existed here before. You know, rather than uh, rather than say, well, let's learn everything we can about them in this single episode. They're they're very inconsistent throughout the episode. In that, at first, he says like, "Oh, we know nothing except for like vague rumors," and then later, Data talks about like there are Ferengi scholars, and like the scholars say this stuff. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, so the scholars are all for, they're like working on vague rumors, like. Apparently. People are publishing books of rumors on this. Like, that's how many rumors we have. But also, if they're traitors, like, or even pirates, wouldn't they run into, like, they'd be out there running into people. Yeah. They're, yeah. Not, they're not hiding. They're not a, a reclusive species. Yeah. Right. Well, and they're bold enough to go to a star base and steal a thing, yes. right? So, yeah. 
so this isn't the first time they've come in contact with them. Yeah, yeah, right. But suddenly they're they're brand new. I think when I, I did some reading on the Ferengi like a while ago because I'm a huge nerd and that's what huge nerds do. Um, but like apparently the the premise or the idea for the Ferengi was. You know, they, the Romulans hadn't been reintroduced at this point. Spoiler alert, that's later, you know, whatever. So the Romulans are kind of in decline right now in the current meta of the show. Um, and the Klingon Empire is seen as, they don't really establish it early on, but Worf is there. So that kind of, that drives home the point that, like, former enemy is now friend. And, and the thought at the time was they needed some sort of menace, like some sort of... Uh, you know, central or, or, you know, focused foe that the Enterprise could encounter, uh, like in the original series with the Klingons and the Romulans. But one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite things about this is there, there are multiple people who have basically said, uh, you know, never has there been a more awkward introduction yeah. to, yeah. to a species uh, <sighs> in science fiction history. It's, it doesn't really work for a lot of reasons. And it's, I, I kind of tried to figure out exactly why, and there's just there's really too many reasons to name because I think inconsistency is one of them. And Paul, you hit on it kind of right away, where where they just don't handle it very well. We know nothing about them but rumors and whatever, and then all of a sudden they're expounding upon you know the hierarchies of their civilization and what their scholars say, and it's like it's like a lot of season one episodes I think where it's just they try to do too much in too short of a time span while also trying to clumsily handle other dramatic elements in, in an well, episode. It also feels like they're almost doing too little in some senses too, in that, um, you know, much like the original series where they would just have like a menace of the week. Uh, this feels like a menace of the week. So, so yeah. they, so they do go through this whole exercise to explain as much as they can about them. But meanwhile, they've really not done their homework to create a, a backstory for them to make them a full rounded, you know, part of this universe. Right. So, yeah. like, I, so is I would be curious to know when they thought they might bring them back into the series later um because eventually they do get that backstory and they do get this whole civilization and uh i mean there are there's probably you know a a whole season's worth of deep space nine that's based around this culture uh yeah. yep. Yep. You, you know so uh, it it's very it's very awkward in that they're so like the information we get is so surface information you yep. know what i mean yep well and they're trying to paint i think at this point still with such broad strokes that like cultures are e are either like good cultures or bad cultures right, right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't have any of this gray yet um it's like well these these guys are jerks in every way possible and they just aren't good at these sorts of things and um and they're pirates um i mean <laughs> if we're looking for backstory on them they they're pretty sexist that comes out in the episode right yeah. right like yeah Strangely well, continuing that's kind of, a theme from season oh, yeah. one as a whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, what, the fourth episode, second super sexist culture they've run into, unless uh -huh. I'm forgetting one. That is kind of the cool thing about it, is that even when they do eventually develop this um, this backstory and this full civilization for this race that they've introduced in this episode, they do keep elements from yeah. uh, from things we've introduced here. You know, the uh, the idea that... Uh, that the females of the species uh, are are discouraged from wearing clothes, right. you know, uh, you know, 
things of that nature. That that's really cool. And I mean, um, and maybe we'll talk about the production a little bit later. But uh, the makeup, uh, like, is is one hundred percent the same makeup that you'll see later in the series. Yeah, uh, which is not the case for a lot of the a lot of the species that we get introduced to. I mean, even the Cardassians when we first see them. Uh, in next generation, uh, their makeup becomes more elaborate and uh, tighter uh, later in the canon of Star Trek. Yeah, that was the first example I thought of when uh, when it, when you said that too. That's a great example of how this they really nail it right here, mm-hmm. um, and it, it doesn't change. Yeah, like Deep Space Nine all the way through. This is pretty much it. They make minor tweaks, but the bulk of it is here. Well, and uh, from what I understand, the the actor that they based the Cardassian makeup on is is the actor who you know becomes the main Cardassian foe in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, uh, much in the same way that uh, that the actor who who plays one of the Ferengis here becomes the main Ferengi uh, you know character throughout the canon of Star Trek, uh, and and you know they just didn't change it for him in this. In this particular instance, like they did for the Cardassian. Yeah, yeah. Mark Alemo plays the first uh, Cardassian who we who we see on screen, who later becomes Gal Dukat, and then uh, yeah, Armin Armin Shireman or Armin Scheimer. Yeah, I, I, Shireman, I always call it. Shireman. This is why I neglected yeah. to include his name because I could not pronounce it. But he he is here. Like he's even quoted as saying like he he kind of got to put his feet in the wet cement of this you know this new race of people. The unfortunate thing is, uh, it just didn't work out so well the first time around. What what's amazing amazing to me is kind of to lay out that contrast about and and if you're listening to us talk about this episode and we'll go into just the different things that don't work because I think as a whole this episode just doesn't hang together for a number of reasons and really um you know as a callback here here Paul we've we've kind of talked about the the Tasha Yar character and we will again um as as her character really struggles to develop in season one a lot of those same uh issues are present here with the Ferengi people like it's yeah. clear that this team of writers um, who is kind of disjointed in season one and two because they're some of them are freelance writers. Some of them are are people who have had experience in the original series. They're all kind of um, a team that was kind of put together by by Gene Roddenberry when he wanted to start this show. It's clear that they're having a hard time jiving with the stuff that they're trying to get going, that they that they have thoughts about things they want to establish for certain characters uh, certain character development pieces, certain things and storylines that they want to incorporate in in the first season, but it just doesn't feel that way because they're not fleshed out well enough and they don't hang together enough, so they all come off kind of feeling like that episode of the week kind of thing, you know, the monster of the and, week. And in terms of the character, <clears throat> I mean, there is probably some slack to be given here that they have a lot of characters on the Enterprise to develop, and and we're on the fourth episode, right? That that yeah, they could either be focusing on one, right? It could be just about Picard still, uh, maybe a few others, but that would feel weird too, right? So, so they are having to do a very scattershot build of these different characters. So, so for instance, Yar, like you said, there's there's no Yar development here, um, yeah. but that's okay, right? It's not really a Yar episode. There's no Worf development here. There's a little bit of Geordi. There's a little bit of Data. Um, Some Riker too. There's a decent amount of Riker. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a lot of Riker, Riker in this episode. Uh, we can talk about whether or not that's successful, but 
he is the main focus, I think, yeah, uh, I think so. uh, of the back end of the episode. Right. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit more about the episode um, just uh, as it progresses. So there's, you know, we kind of set that up in the beginning. They're, they're chasing this ship. Uh, they eventually find out that both ships are caught in the trap. That's the reveal. Haha, the Ferengi think it's the Federation. The Federation thinks it's the Ferengi. Um, and then they start to, to investigate the planet. And I think... A lot of the things that happen in this episode that start to that start to fall apart um, are based off of this third, fourth, and fifth act reveal of the Takan Empire. Like, and I think a lot of a lot of season one episodes fall into this trap where um, some of these ideas on their own might have been interesting and, and worthwhile to pursue. Um, even the reveal of the the Ferengi culture just as a whole. But then all of a sudden, now we're down on the planet. Then all of a sudden, now there's this trap. Then all of a sudden, the trap is from this ancient empire. Then all of a sudden, there's this representative from the ancient empire who's like Portal 63 or something. Yeah, what do you call it? And like, it's just, you never really get a chance. I mean, I felt anyway. You never really get a chance to like sit and think about too much of the stuff that they're they're showing you um, because then it's like, oh, on to the next thing. Oh, on to the next thing. Uh, uh, And it kind of makes it all feel disposable, I think, in, in that regard. And, it, it, and what I wrote down was, you know, it, it, it again feels very much like they, um, they they haven't broken out of that original series model yet where, um, you know, something happens, assemble an away team, go to the planet, mm-hmm. right? That's that's that model that they're using here. And it's, it's I mean, it worked to some degree in the original series, um, but but it's starting to feel stale here. Um, and it and it also feels like they it almost feels like a different cast of writers wrote the front end and the back end right that definitely they had, a, they had a cast that wrote the planet and they had a cast that wrote the ship and that might be that you know the planet side is well we have to write this part this is Star Trek and then they're trying to break out in that that first part and write more ship based stuff more stuff in space um, that that really wasn't as present in original series. The shows that happen largely in space are, are like what they call the bottle shows because, mm-hmm. um, you know, the ship in the bottle, they have no, I mean, you basically use the interior sets and that's it. What I find interesting is I think that was used as a derogatory in, uh, in like original series stuff. Cause they had mm-hmm. a few of them, but they weren't, they weren't all that successful or they were kind of some of the least interesting episodes, but, strangely in TNG because the character development became so strong later on. Um, those actually were sometimes the more interesting episodes. Where it, well, and, and the ship is so big and right. the crew is so big. Yep. Right. So they've got more to, to deal with. Exactly. So you guys will have to kind of refresh me a little bit, but like the, for me, the whole latter half of the episode after they, after they beam down, because they there's this this part right where you know the Picard and the the enemy Daemon uh, are are talking, and they finally work out an arrangement where they send a joint away team. Um, th- everything after that initial encounter for me kind of starts to just feel really samey, and and mentally as I'm looking back on it, it all kind of just blurs together. I think. Um, yeah. But but that I do want to talk about that first encounter. <laughs> Because it's it's weird. Like it's just the the one thing we were just talking about the Ferengi and how they um they maintained they were pretty consistent um in visual appearance, if not cultural presentation. But the one thing that stood right out at me, I was like, Oh my god, I forgot about those stupid whips that they had. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what? That's a that's just a an example of a really innovative idea that didn't work out. 
right? Because yeah. that that's a really interesting, um, an interesting weapon and an interesting mechanism. And I think I think maybe if you know if you create that today, that looks really cool. Um, and, but but back in the day, you know, they were just like they were like, well, I don't know, get some uh, get some tubes. <laughs> and uh, we'll animate on top of them. Get um, noodles. Yeah, yeah I was noodles say, and... <laughs> the fun noodle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and they, so they have this moment where um, the the whole episode feels like I don't know. I'm trying to find a way to like frame it, but y- you know how sometimes you go over to somebody's house and they're like, "Come here for a second. I want to show you something." And it's either an addition to their house, or it's a project that they've worked on, or it's something that it's very obvious they're they're incredibly proud of. And there's this, they bring you to the room and they like, t- you know, ta-da. And it's like the world's worst coffee table. And they jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> exactly. It's the jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> and they are, they are just, they're out of their mind excited for it. And they're like, oh, this is the, and you're like looking at it and you're awkwardly trying to find a way to get away. I feel like that is this reveal of the Ferengi. Because there are, it's clear they, I mean, from the makeup, from the prop design, from the background of of the culture that they include, like it's clear the writers were like, "Here they are," and and I think the whole episode just it, it kind of it just falls flat on its face a little bit because, I, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is about the Ferengi that don't work, and and I'm having a hard time pointing to one specific thing. I think it's just kind of a collection of, of all of the things like they just don't well, feel menacing i think it's it's a mismatch of their skill set to the situation right right so they're painted as pirates right they're painted as like traders plus or whatever whatever you want to call it they're painted yeah. as pirates and then they're put into a situation where they have to stand still and talk to people and then go to a planet and talk to someone who is <laughs> basically q i mean that the portal 63 is basically q again yeah it is um and it, it it's not they they are not matched to that situation. Well, in their their no chance in that situation, their intellectual uh, capacity uh, from from the way that they're portrayed is not matched to the job for which uh, the writers gave them. Yeah, you yeah. know they're not clever. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. if you're a pirate, like it, if you're successful, you're clever, right? Mm-hmm. So like if unless this is their first job out of pirate school um <laughs> which it sounds like it might be yeah, yeah. maybe it is the these guys <laughs> these guys are day. the worst pirates they're yeah. they not only do they get detected and uh and they get tracked across you know the system or whatever uh but once they get down into a situation where they have to deal with uh with the federation like hand to hand or whatever they're totally inept yeah well yeah. and th- that is the that is the problem with this second half right that if you paint this episode, um, and again, like you said, Burns, it's almost a derogatory, like only space at this point. You have the Ferengi, like they meet the Ferengi, and it's like, oh, this is the first official Federation meeting between these. And then the Ferengi beam on board or something, and they're like, haha, I tricked you, we stole something, and then start escaping and, and you know, lead them on some sort of chase, right? Lead them through some sort of sp- space chase um, that involves some crafty pirate-based culture that knows how to to hide in different places or do stuff like that now you have an interesting episode where their their prowess is on display and the enterprise might actually have to solve some problems right uh, and and best them in a way that is their way and we almost get a little bit of that 
we almost, almost get a little bit in uh, in the um, the way in which Jordy tries to figure out how to jump them off of this uh, this energy suck. Yes. Um, yeah. That yeah. that's that's really interesting. That's like one of the most interesting pieces of this. Uh, of this show, it it doesn't work, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. But uh, but he was like, hey, let's let's use some of this this ingenuity. That I mean, at this point, it, it, we're only four episodes into this show, but we do have an entire canon uh, behind us saying, you know, Starfleet, they're the best of the best. They are clever and uh, will use whatever tools are at their disposal. You know, so uh, that was really nice to see. I thought that was a good, um, a good indication of where the series will eventually go. Well, and to that point too, I think uh, what was interesting to me was I, I keep forgetting because I'm I'm a lifelong Trekkie that that Jordy is not the chief of engineering at this point, which he later becomes. And in this episode, you see some of his character development lean towards those problem solving things um, that he becomes known for, and and, and I think this. Maybe one of the positives of this episode is is even the little bit of character development you get out of Jordy is is him. You see his cogs turning. That he's the person in the group who who brings both passion and like resourcefulness to to the equation. And I think here this is where the writers start to figure that out and ultimately why he he makes the move down to, to engineering, um, mm-hmm. which is which is cool to see because that's you know when I saw that I was like that is Jordy acting like Jordy like that is the the Jordy that I'm I'm familiar with. Yeah, definitely. Bottom line, LaForge, uh, it's not good, sir. For any force field that holds this ship compensates almost as fast as we can increase power. Almost? Well, there's a .372 millisecond delay between the use of our power and the neutralizing counterforce of the Ferengi. See, we push and they push back with equal force, sir. What's our acceleration delay between slow reverse impulse and top warp speed? Well, that's .300 milliseconds. There's... Uh, I see where you're going. We ship down, then kick hard into warp nine. Yeah, come back, fight. Woo-wee! Can we do it, Jordy? Ask me after it's done, sir. Breaking this apart, I, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to figure out if there's a way to make any of this work. I think an episode with the Takan Empire, with even the same basic premise, may have worked but minus the Ferengi element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because weirdly, like, what started as a way to catapult into the episode and have a sense of urgency and, like, you know, we have to get this thing back that they stole it and, oh, the Ferengi and woo. Um, by the end of it, the the Takan Empire, um, the Guardian and the, the trap that they're in, like, that's the central part of the puzzle. And the Ferengi are, you know, Paul, as you pointed out, completely out of place here to the point where it not only wrecks the plot thread of of the trap, but it also really completely screws up the introduction of the Ferengi because they just come across as as bumbling. Like, you, you guys were talking about it, but I mean, they're, they're not only bad pirates, they're just bad at being, like, people. Like, they're just, they're, they're it's a comically question of, like, stupid. It's, it's a question of, like, how are they in, uh, how do they have inter, interplanetary travel? Exactly. How did they get that? Like, yeah. where did they get that? The, yeah. The, the Ferengi are not important here. You're you're right. It's it's the interaction with this this empire, this last outpost of this this old empire that is the interesting A story here. Yep. And the Ferengi are a throwaway. Yep. And they and, and it's they, really I, too bad because they have a lot of opportunity to go in that um, you know, sort of pirate hunting uh old naval yeah, you know, yeah. sort of storyline. 
That yeah. that would have been really interesting, and it was really interesting for the first, you know, twenty minutes of the show. Yeah, yeah. It's like the it's to me it's like the the race that they had like painted as you know this very different culture but equal footing kind of a foe. It's like they pull the rug out from under us when we actually get to see him on the planet because yeah, it's like yeah. these like these jerks are the people that everybody's worried about. Like, I mean, right. really? Um, yeah, it's surprising they can fly this starship. What'll be fascinating to talk about as we do this show and as we talk about TNG is the flight path that the Ferengi have as uh, a villain and as a as a as a group in the show because after this they completely start to de-emphasize their military prowess they completely start to de-emphasize their threat as it is to the federation so much so that by the end of like seasons three and onward when they show up they are literally like almost a laugh line like they're they're literally like oh the ferengi are here like there's there's episodes where they show up and they're just they're the nuisance but they're not the threat and what amazes me is the success of deep space nine they're able to take like that hole that they put the ferengi in and then spin it and give them like dignity and and uh, and culture like back like by the end of DS9. Well, they give them culture. Yeah. 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 True. True. But I mean, even by um like the character... but there 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 is a there is a sort of uh, there's a traitor's code uh, sort of that that does give them some sort of gravitas in yeah. certain yeah. situations. Well, and yeah. some of those episodes are the most interesting episodes uh, yes. in Deep Space Nine where the, the Nagas shows up and like they're fun episodes Yep. Um, because it's so different. It's such a different culture. Um, it, and getting to see those those snippets of it is fun. And you get to be inside the culture as they literally um, put that culture of people through a cultural revolution like uh, mm-hmm. through the span mm-hmm. of Deep Space Nine. So yeah, yeah. It, it amazes me that they're able to take something which, by and large, looking at this, you would look at this episode and be like, well, that didn't work out, but I, I guess, you know, we don't have to worry about that again. And the fact that the Ferengi have the staying power that they have, it amazes me watching this episode that we ever even heard from them again. You know? Yeah. That, that, I, think, I think they just... They knew that they nailed the makeup so yeah, well yeah. that they just didn't. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to get was, rid of it. I right. I think that's I was thinking the same it. thing. I was honestly thinking the same thing. They're yep. like, it it makes sense. It yeah. does. It's like, well, we already got this guy, and he already has some really cool stuff here. Well, and I suppose the even the visual design of um, you know, if you think about it in these terms, the the show was on in the late eighties, you know, eighty seven, eighty eight. Um, the model that they have for the Ferengi yeah, Marauder. Um, is distinctive. Cool I mean, it's yeah, yeah it's cool. It's really cool. And they spent tons of time on that. So, you know, looking yeah. at that now, uh, if it were a current series, somebody would be like, I don't know, delete that model in the CG. We're just not going to use it again. But Yeah, now, try to render it this way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They have yeah, to. Yeah, well, and that's the unfortunate part is they do spend so much time on the on the ship, on the model. Uh, but when they view screen in... <laughs> It, it's white it, It's so it's so <laughs> clear that they were like, "Oh, we don't have a set." Well, uh, I don't know. Put them against a white background. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that wall that we uh, that we take passport photos against. Uh, put them there. Yeah, exactly, yep. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Um, so at the end, of, by the end of the episode, um, uh, this is where it really kicks into high focus for Riker. But Riker essentially. Um, earns the respect of of portal 63 and by the end of it they're like literally quoting sun tzu and arm in arm (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um well and and the way that Riker wins right so this is a good contrast 
and again, we've had four episodes and half of them have been like, let's put humanity on trial. Mm-hmm. Right. But the way that he wins here, we're, we're in, in the first, in the pilot, right? It's, it's an hour and a half of, of doing stuff at Farpoint. Here, it's just like the guy swings his sword at him and Riker starts, you know, he's like, I will not fear. Fear is a mind killer. You know, he's, that's how Riker would be the best situation, right? That's the out. You are facing fate with composure. But what is the answer to my challenge? Fear is the true enemy, the only enemy. Unlike these little ones who close their minds, your mind holds interesting thoughts. Know your enemy and know yourself, and you will always be victorious. Why that thought? And who is this Sun Tzu you revere? An old Chinese philosopher from ancient Earth history. You must tell me more of this wisdom, so much like our own. Gladly, but first our starship. Can you release it? It is released. All power is restored. Yeah, it's a weird, abrupt challenge. It's so weak. It's like a Billy Goat's gruff. Yeah, it's like they couldn't they couldn't. Well, it's exactly Billy Goat's gruff. I mean, he's literally standing on a bridge. Exactly. You know, (laughs) uh, saying you shall not pass. Uh, It it's such a weak. It's like they couldn't come up with a good mechanism. So they're like, oh, I don't know. um, Well, he's a noble warrior. Throw in the Sung Su thing. Uh, Oh, you're a noble warrior. Oh, okay, You're cool in my book. You know, it's it's so weak. They couldn't. They couldn't come up with with any better contrast between the Ferengi and and the humans or the Federation rather. Well, and not only that, I mean the the Federation is sort of the antithesis of noble warrior, right? Like they right. are they're a peacekeeping fleet. Like that's literally how they are described is that they I mean obviously the the ships are armed due to, you know, experience with other cultures and realizing they have to defend themselves. But the credo of the Federation is, you know, non-interference and in a lot of cases, non-combat. And so to then immediately say, you know, oh, we're the better warriors is like a really awkward thing to... Yeah, he's looking for the Klingons. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would have made way more sense if he had taken to Worf uh-huh. or, or even Yar, yep. uh, yeah. you yep. know, than, uh, than Riker. I mean, we find out later that Riker... Riker holds his own in in hand to hand combat. He's sort of he's sort of that kind of guy. I mean he he shows good judgment most of the time, but he's he's a he's a pretty physical guy. Uh, but at this point, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for for him to be the one, except that in the writing of the show, he is the commander of this away team. Yeah. Right. And and it, it, it again feels like one of these places where it's just like, well, okay, I guess we'll make that character do that. Right. It just just as you said. And yeah. it would be so much easier to give this backstory to somebody else and say, they all get stunned, right? Um and I mean this is this is telling that I forget if Worf is even down there. Uh oh he is because he trips the Ferengi. Right. Um also can but, we talk about Sung Su for just a second? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And and I am not I'm not a, I'm not a scholar uh, of uh, of this sort of writing. But are there are there fields of of people in civilized society who think that this is um, this is something to be lauded? 
I, I was always under the assumption that it came from like a warrior culture that we've we've already evolved beyond. Then you add 300 or 400 years um, and uh, and we're in, you know, a society that doesn't use money or, you know, they're, they're out to uh, to save um, the, the galaxy from everyone. And he's using Sung Su as like his guiding principle. It. it doesn't seem to jive very well uh, with uh, with even our modern sensibilities, I think. Um, so we get to the end of the episode. There there also was this weird, awkward ticking clock because while we have this fun away team down uh, at, at the planet, I guess the Enterprise is not only um, running out of power, but they're I guess they're running out of air too or something, right? And This um, felt... Well, their, really their life support weird. systems were being drained as much as everything else right. was. Yeah. Yep. But it... it, it yeah, this felt really weird. I, I get, <laughs> I get where the ticking clock has to play out that they don't have forever on the planet. But it again, like they're painting the Enterprise as a really, really weak ship. Yeah, across a few episodes here, like yeah, yeah, because I, the the Enterprise is regularly in season one for sure um, put in situations where um, they're bested and almost immediately overpowered. Um, and in this situation, it, it you're right. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't carry the impressive feel of later seasons, where you get you get the feeling that this is a state of the art vessel with a lot of a lot and of they, resources they, and a lot of power at their command. They talked about it as like the Federation's flagship. Yep. And then it gets out here, and it's like, whoop! Well, completely nullified. Like they have yeah. no way out except for the one thing Jordy tried. And again, I like that. I like the Jordy troubleshooting that didn't work. Yeah. It does make you feel like. Maybe humanity should just, you know, stick to friendlier waters for a while. <laughs> well, Q's point, right? Yeah. From the original yeah. pilot. <laughs> like, they just yeah. go back home just for like, a while. Like, uh, like, let's prepare ourselves for what we don't know is out yeah. there for these all, all powerful beings. Which it's interesting I, you bring that up. That that literally becomes a plot thread uh, in in another season when when Q comes back. And uh, mm-hmm. and one of the main villains of and one of the most successful villains to be introduced in in the modern Star Trek era, the Borg, are are encountered. Um, mm-hmm. That is literally his point. Like he is literally like, you guys chill, okay? Because there's stuff out here you're not ready to deal with. And and well, yeah, exactly. It's a good contrast too. I, I thought about this earlier with the the Borg. Like they're they're probably the next villain, like big villain mm-hmm. race that gets introduced, and the handling of it is basically completely opposite whereas here they're like oh this is this people we don't know that much about and they're traitors we have scholars blah 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 and later they're just like ah let's just just let's just have q do it let's just have q show up and say hey i there's some other things over here don't have to worry about how you got here don't have to worry about any of the backstory you've never met them here they are yeah there's and too much well and, so much and i do think that so in that pain. case they had a backstory already re- like created for them yeah. yeah you know and i think that's the i think that's one of the huge problems here is that they just don't you don't come in in the middle of something you know mm-hmm. what i mean and in good writing you come in in the middle of something yep yeah so that's the episode. Um, so let's. I think unless anybody's got anything else or, or has some more, there was there was one more point I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys about because this really struck me while watching this episode, and maybe it's that I've been more recently watching later episodes. Um, so it, it provided a really great um, contrast to me. But the way in which the crew interacts in this episode is so much more casual than the way that they interact later in the series 
Mm-hmm. Did you guys get that sense at all? Like, there's a there's a moment. Um, I mean, aside from the stupid finger trap thing, uh, <laughs> there's there's a moment where they're they're in the uh, the conference room, and uh, and Jordy is like sitting on the edge of the table. You would never see that <laughs> later later in the series. They conduct yeah. themselves. Like and I appreciate it. You know, we all work in offices. You know, you get comfortable with people. You might sit on the edge of their desk or or whatever while you're while you're chatting. But they're having a we need to figure this out situation, and uh, and they're just they're treating it like they are coworkers rather than uh, like they're you know part of a chain of command and part like holding themselves to the dignified status that they later get to in the series. Right. And that's a really good point that that goes backwards, really. Because if you think about Picard in a later season, Jordy was doing, like, you, you picture, like, Jordy sitting on the edge of the table or, like, Worf sitting there with his feet up or something. Picard would be like, put your feet down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's not, it goes backwards. Yeah, and there's something... There's something really noble about the way in which they conduct themselves as professionals in those situations, yeah. and there, and it, you just don't get that sense here. Yeah, here it's like, um, yeah, it, it's almost like a sitcom sort of a feel where everybody's everybody's just hanging out. So what's going on yep. today? Oh, this thing's sucking our power. What are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Let's go down to the coffee shop. You don't get the sense that I mean they really do. It's 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 subtle and it's there and they're not overt about it, but you get the sense in later seasons that it is I mean it's run like a tightly run military organization. That it is they're not you know, they are not warriors, but again they're a peacekeeping fleet in the kind of naval tradition. So they conduct themselves accordingly. And, and yeah, in this episode, that's just not there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the cool thing that they find, and they find it in, you know, every subsequent series, uh, is that they have the chain of command, but they are all still, you know, this, this makeshift family. You know, they, yeah. they, they, can, break, they can break that um, professionalism when needed. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean... Right. Beverly is always going to refer to him as Jean-Luc. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that works. And it makes, I think it makes those, um, no, that's a really, that's a really good observation. I had not even realized it until you pointed it out, but I think that's also once that's there and established, right? The, the decorum and the chain of command and the fact that they are all professionals, it makes those moments of character development when a character opens up to another one, uh, seem really much more powerful. They have more weight because it's taking the mantle off, right? It's taking off the, you know, and it allows them to be, uh, really kind to each other and really, really there for each other. You do it, it almost paradoxically, it kind of reinforces the family environment because, you know, underneath they're professionals. They're here to get the job done. But underneath, they these people care about one another, and and it creates like a great sense of drama when those two feelings are at odds with each other as well. Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And here it's just a bunch of you know slackers. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know the the way in which Riker and Jordy communicate with each other is just it's mind-boggling i mean Riker is clearly you know what like three steps above Jordy in the chain of command and uh and while again later in the series we get them chatting like here we just we get like two guys they're like well i don't know what do you think oh i don't know what do you think you know it's yeah. uh it's so casual and it's it's really off-putting after having seen later episodes yeah no good point good point um 
Okay, I think are we ready for uh, for best and worst highlights? Yeah, uh, yeah so. highs lows for this. So, um, Dean, you're the guest. Uh, go, feel free to go first. Do you have a, a best yeah. best moment? Of this? Yeah, I, the 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 best thing about this is not. I guess it's not a moment per se, but it is the Ferengi makeup. The the it's it's so tight and it's so it's so like innovative. Like who would have thought to do that? I don't even know what they were looking at to you like sometimes you can see, oh, this is like based on a lizard or this is based on a uh, uh, on a bear or, uh, you know, whatever. But I don't know what they were basing this on. And those ears are phenomenal. Yeah. You know, the and the the ridge over the brow. um, It's just like. If uh, if you were watching this without the sound and you only caught like twenty minutes of it or something, you would go, "This is this is really great." Yeah. Um, so uh, I think I think that is the best thing about this episode. Uh, worst thing about this episode is I think, and I think we covered it, is just the uh, the the end, uh, the lack of um, of. Uh, like a satisfying conclusion yeah yeah uh, is just uh oh well i can read your mind and you you were thinking something that uh, i think is kind of interesting okay we're we're pals now <laughs> high five bro <laughs> yeah cool yeah. roll credits <laughs> you have passed <laughs> paul uh what do you got for uh for best and worst i yeah i i i didn't have a a a real best coming in and earlier when Dean talked about the makeup I wrote it down and I just have to agree wholeheartedly with it, it was, it's a really good pull from this episode that it is probably why they stuck around Like again they did tweaks but um, that's also a good observation that it's it's hard to envision um, what their inspiration was because it, it's so um, creative and sort of out of left field um, you can't point to it like I did for a later episode and say, oh, well, these are the lizard people or these are the weird bear people. Like it, it feels like its own thing. And um, and they kind of him and haw about like, oh, and I'll get to that on my worst, that, oh, we don't like, we don't go on the view screen or something. So when they do come on, it's this reveal. And I, I love wow. the I love after the reveal when they when they show up on the uh, on the view screen when Jordy just goes hello stranger <laughs> you know like I just I, I love that part like it's because that's the reaction you're just like whoa okay that's, yeah yeah that's that's different okay uh, how about worst moment uh, so uh, there's just so much bad here but I think <laughs> at a general level um, it's kind of the other side of this coin so they super nailed the makeup. And, but, and they let everything else go. But more than that, in, in multiple situations throughout this episode, they let the situation that they were in drive um, a species development. So very early on, they get into a situation where both ships are here and, and, and Picard turns to Troy and it's like, hey, what are they feeling? And it's like, oh, well, this is going to be a bump in the road because... If, if she can feel their emotions, she's going to be like, they're super confused. They're super worried. And, and they're, they're, there you've blown this whole, um, this whole reveal of like, they're not thinking the same thing as us. Like, they're the ones with the power. Um, and then she's just like, oh, well, I guess they could shield their minds from us. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so then it's like, well, I guess that's a thing Frangie do. And now you have that, etch- that's part of their race. And then... Um, Later, um, I was just thinking of another one. 
oh, later, yeah, they're like, oh, our culture doesn't like to be on view screens. And, and the reason is because um, you want to have that reveal, right? You want to have, you don't want him to just show up right away. You want to have Jordy be able to say his line. Right. So you let that situation drive a cultural thing where they say our culture doesn't like to send <laughs> images. And this really weird line from Picard that's basically like, I'll keep talking to you, but how about you send me a pic? Like, it's basically what <laughs> he says. This weird or GTFO, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Is exactly what Picard says in this situation, and it feels so shoehorned. And then it's like, oh, when I think of Ferengi later, like, they don't have any cultural thing about, like, being on view screens nope. or something. Nope. That's not a thing that they keep, but for this situation, they want to shoehorn in this weird thing. And then later on the planet, like, Riker is walking around talking with this guy, and it's like, oh, well, the Ferengi still need to be there, but they don't really have anything to do, so let's have them dance around like apes, right? Like, yeah, it feels like they didn't think this through, and they didn't fit a situation to a, a species. And they also didn't do any back thought on what that would mean moving forward. And uh, I think that's, yeah, that's what's really wrong with this 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 species development. So... Everything. Oh, Check. Yeah. Look. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got but it. They didn't fit it. They didn't fit it at the right place. This should have been a throwaway race, and they should have put the Ferengi in a a situation that was suited to what they had thought them through. The, Very yeah, much like for, they do with the board la board later. Oh no, they should have saved them for a more appropriate reveal. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that. A yep. space episode. Yeah. Yeah. A space episode. Yep. Um I would say for um, for my best moment, like I, I kind of completely forgot about this moment until I was watching it again. Um, and it's a really small moment, but it, it um, for me, I really like to glom onto these early pieces of, of character development. Um, when it's like late in the second act before they figure stuff out on the planet, they keep cutting back to the Enterprise to kind of drive home the fact that like, okay, they're up here, stuff's starting to fail, it's getting cold, they're running out of air, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's the moment where Dr. Crusher um, comes to Picard and has a very like heart to heart conversation about, look, this isn't getting any better. We're probably, you know, I mean, we're all in danger soon. When the time comes, should I sedate Wesley? Should I yeah. spare him the pain of dying a, a pretty gruesome death? And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's a scene that is, it's, it's, it's a lot of things because there's a lot there because they've already built that uh, relationship between the two of them and they've already built the past history of Picard has already had to be dealing with death with the Crusher family, with, with Wes's dad. Um, and I thought that was a really nice moment because it really... Um, there are so many points in the first season where, where character development isn't what it should be or isn't where it should be or is inconsistent or weird. But I feel like early on the relationship between Picard and Dr. Crusher works and it works pretty well. And, and I think this is another one where she, you know, she's at this point, she's just, she's just a mom. You know, I mean, she's the chief medical officer of the flagship of the Enterprise. Um, and she's obviously worried about everybody, but she has a moment where, you know, she has to turn to a friend and say, I mean, my son's here. What do I do? You know, and I thought that was, I thought it was really touching. And, and you know, Picard's response was, was almost fatherly in a sense. I've diverted the reserve power down here to the family decks. They last longest. Is there anything else we can do, Doctor? 
Where's Wesley? He's in our quarters. I was tempted to give him a sedative. You shouldn't. I know, but he's my son. I love him. He has the right to meet death awake. Is that a male perspective? Yeah, it, it was. It's a dark moment. It was very um, dark. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I almost I, brought it up. I almost brought it up when you were talking about the the Picard Beverly piece before, and it's like, yeah, that gets dark. But you're, you're right. It gets it gets dark in a good way. It. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about that moment, and it's. Uh, I'm really glad you brought it up because it is, it is like a a single piece of this episode that if you were going to take it. Um, and, uh, like if you scrap this episode and you rewrite, uh, like a new episode, this is the one piece that you would carry over, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to a large degree, this all comes up in a later episode. This comes up, what, two or three episodes later in Justice, right? Right. Where, Mm -hmm. where you have this whole thing as a whole episode. Um, and I, I, I don't know, this is a, a short bit here. I'm not sure it's even done as well in the later episode. It is as it's done in this one scene. Maybe yeah. because it's just one scene, but and they're um, able to in that one scene, I think, really carry the weight of it well, yeah, uh, yep. and use it as a moment to to bring two characters m- closer together. Yeah, um, the the worst part of the episode is, um, I, I mean, I don't know. As a whole, I just look at it as, I, I mean, I really hate these missed opportunities. So. Um, because I look at some of the stuff that happened in this episode and there's salvageable ideas out of, out of the whole thing. And it just feels like, um, you know, if you were watching a baseball game and watching the number of swings that are taken and just, you know, (laughs) another swing and a miss, another swing. And it's like, it gets hard to watch because the Ferengi could have been better Their You know, their usage, I mean, all this stuff that we've talked about. But there's just so much of it in one episode where you're like, God, that could have been better. Like, it's it's not that it's overtly bad. Like, I don't even think anything in this episode is necessarily on its face a terrible thing. It's just that the way that it's handled is so clumsy and awkward. It just makes it a really bad episode. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, it's not one moment in particular, but it's just all the all the missed pieces that they had in there that just they couldn't come right together so much so that by the time we get to the end of the episode, it's clear, uh, we're out of time and got to do something. So read his mind, Sun Tzu over credits warp out, you know, it's like, Oh yep. guys, please, please. Um, so given all this, uh, we, we try to do this at the end of the episode and we'll also work this into the preview that we do, um, before this episode airs. Um, generally, you know, veterans who are watching this show along with us, they'll have fun and watch the bad with the good with everybody else. But for newbies, um, you know, what's the difficulty level of this expert or, or, or the difficulty level of this episode? Is it, uh, you know, newbie friendly or is it experts only? Would you recommend or does someone new to the show, uh, do they need to watch it or should they skip it? Yeah, so far we've only, uh, they've only watched the pilot now. Right. <laughs> so you're I, saying I, skip? Is, is this the second episode they watch or what? I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe let, I, I'd say we let Dean go first, but I, I, this one's yeah. pretty clear. This this episode to me is not representative of Star Trek. So if you're unless you you want to show someone, you know, uh, every episode from the beginning through, uh, I think this is totally skippable. Yeah. yeah. For for a number of reasons that we've already outlined, but um 
but especially for the way in which the crew interact with each other and the way in which the Ferengi are are uh, mishandled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it, it touches on some of the the same things that we touched on in the Naked Now, where not only is it a bad episode, it's actually damaging to figuring out characters. The Naked Now was, and I think not only is this episode um, bad, it's actually damaging to what the Ferengi actually become eventually. Yeah. Uh, and the Ferengi are going to come back soon, right? There's the other Ferengi episodes that I think handle this much better. Yeah, there's um, that, even season one episodes that, yeah, I mean, at least We're not too far away from another Ferengi episode that uh-huh. is done much better and gives a much better picture. And, and we said one of the few things about them is the makeup, and that's still there, yep. right? It, it's not just in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm saying skip two, obviously. Yeah, I think we it's thumbs down across the board. You just there, there's just too much that's problematic uh, to really save it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> experts. Hopefully, you enjoyed uh, going along with us and reliving a pretty, <laughs> pretty mediocre piece of trek. Uh, <laughs> but if you're newbies to the series, you'll uh, maybe at a future date, sometime uh, down the line, when you've watched the whole series and then you're desperate for more, you can come back to these ones and go. Oof, <laughs> but they're that's yeah, not good, <laughs> not good. So. We do have some that are on the horizon, though. I'll I'll try to leave it on a positive note. There are there are actually some a surprising. There's some good number. ones coming. Yeah, There's some good episodes coming. Yep. So, um, we'll uh, we'll get to talk about those soon. But there are um, there are some episodes where they really hit on um, character development. They really introduce. Uh, I mean, the reintroduction of. I know it's the end of season one, but the reintroduction of the Romulans is is actually really powerful and really well done. Um, so there's yeah, there's lots of stuff to look forward to. It's just these first episodes. I I can't imagine watching this back in the day, and I, I mean it's amazing the show survived <laughs> at this point, and Ugh. let alone became what we're familiar with. Uh, you know, I was I was talking to my uncle about this, who um, who's a, a Trek fan, and watched these you know um, back in the day, and watched original series back in the day. And I asked him, like, you know, how did it get off the ground <laughs> with these bad episodes? You're like, we don't. It, it, that, it was the only track there was. You just yeah. watched it. Yep. You just watched it and you enjoyed it. Yeah. And you just, you just smiled. Well, I think we do. We do have to recognize that what Trek became was not what it was when it was on in the '60s. Yes. And I think this episode fits. You could replace the crew uh, with the original crew. And this episode would fit really well into one of the original series yeah. runs. That's very true. Yeah. Very, very there were true. lines that it felt like Kirk should have been delivering. I agree. Yep. Yep. And that's a th- thread that'll be consistent until we get about halfway through season one. Um, but, yeah. but yeah. So, well, I enjoy talking about uh, the episode. I, I paradoxically, I almost enjoy talking about the bad ones more than the good ones. Um, yeah, so, yeah, very much so. <laughs> so, Dean, thank you very much for both sitting through this and uh, joining us for this conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. So. And you'll be back for I forget what's next, but see you in a few reps. Yeah, there's, sure thing. There's a uh, there's a teaser for you. So until next time, uh, I'm Jason, and I'm Paul, and this has been the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. One final request, sir. Permission to beam a box of Data's Chinese finger puzzles over to the Ferengi. A thank you for all they tried to do. Make it so. Set course, the board.